and welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast. We are serving up a very special episode today all about activism and what it looks like when we link up. With a long legacy of activism across HBCUs and on the eve of a historic presidential election, we're talking about how we're moving and mobilizing. And as we know, you should always listen to Black women. So listen up. Let's get into it. Per usual, we have our family here, our classic roundtable guests. My name is Danielle Cadet. I am the managing editor of Refinery29 Unbothered, and I am joined here with my phenomenal sisters, Kathleen Newman-Bremang and Chelsea Sanders. For those who are new to the podcast, would you two please introduce yourself? Chelsea, sister, let's start with you. Hey, everyone. I'm Chelsea Sanders. I'm a VP here at Refinery and the producer on this podcast and ready to talk voting, mobilizing, and how we are going to make some mm happen. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sexy voice you've got going on. I, I was going to say, very, that's very quiet that tone, storm. Chelsea. Yeah, yes. Keep very quiet storm. Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> you know I got my Daisy After Dark voice on today. <laughs> And our sister to the north of us, Kathleen Newman-Bremang. Yeah, I'm coming in from the six. I'm the senior writer at Refinery29 Canada. I do not have the sexy voice that Chelsea has, <laughs> but I'm going to bring this like exhausted and fired up energy to this combo today because I feel like we're, we're all toggling between the two. And you're bringing the international perspective, which is which is what yeah. We, oh, because we're, we're all paying attention to this. Like, exactly. I don't know mm. if, if y'all think y'all are just the ones right. stressed out or or locked into this. We're all we're all paying attention. Americans are very narcissistic, right? We're like, yes. we think yes. like everything's about us. Like, you ever notice we call the baseball, we call it the World Series, but there's nobody else in the world. <laughs> Absolutely no. And also like, like, no one's going to play with us. Like, like, we're terrible. Who are we playing? <laughs> Did we beat Japan? No, we beat the Yankees. Like, we beat like the folks in New York. Like, yeah, the rest of the world, though, buys into that narcissism. <laughs> totally. Like, Such Canada an American ideal. Very influenced by America all the time. So American of all us. All the time. Every show, we kind of do a little, we each contribute our own little slogan, saying, opinion, thing. So on today's episode, we are going to share our voting slogan. Ladies, if you were running for office, what would your voting slogan be? Chelsea, I'm going to start with you, sis. So, okay, Chelsea Sanders, 2030 ticket, legs for days and making a way. Oh! <laughs> All right, I'm going to paint you a picture because we know sex sells and I'm not above it. <laughs> At all. Legs for days. <laughs> but we Legs make it away. Days. Are we? We make it away. Chelsea just got all the, the Republicans. <laughs> she you know, like, exactly. Hey. Look, in this in this I am shook you know? it. I love it. Legs for days. Yes. Wow. Make it away. <laughs> Kathleen, please share oh, with us what your voting slogan would be. Since. Y'all, I would be like the campaign manager in the back. <laughs> I am not a, in front of the camera person. So I'm like, my slogan is awkward, but effective. And listen to Black Woman. I'm stealing that from your intro. That's it. I love awkward, but effective. I like, truly. <laughs> I feel like that should go on like a vacuum manual. Awkward, but effective. <laughs> <laughs> that is where I live. Thank you. I'd vote Thank for you. Appreciate that. <laughs> uh, my, my campaign slogan would be, Put your money on black women. Put black women on your money. Hello, still waiting for my Harriet Tubman $20 bill. Okay, so if you're voting for me, it is because you're putting your money on black women and we will subsequently put black women on all the monies. Okay, (laughs) means I'd probably lose. but We have a black woman on our money here in Canada. Shout out to Viola Desmond. Yes, shout out to Viola Desmond. Oh, that's amazing. See, we need to to follow our cousins. We need to follow (laughs) your footsteps because clearly Canada's got it right and we've got a lot to learn. So let's get get straight into it, ladies. We have so much to talk about here. And I want to talk about voting while Black and, and being a Black, and especially as a Black woman, particularly. You know, we all know the history of voting in our country and, and how much our ancestors fought to get the right to vote. And so we all know that Black women are very much at the bottom of 
the last rung on the ladder when it comes to things like this. But we are at a point now where we are seeing now repeatedly how we show up at the polls, how the country relies on our vote. We also have a Black woman at the center of this conversation in this historical moment with Kamala Harris as the uh, vice presidential nominee. So there's so much to talk about. And I want to start there because we are fresh off of the heels of the vice presidential debate. We saw Kamala Harris and Mike Pence go toe-to-toe. And I want to start off by really unpacking the conversation that came out of that because you kind of have, you had two different sides of the argument, right? You have a whole swath of people that identified with her telling Pence, I'm speaking, right? And having to smile when she said that, having to laugh, having to make sure that she appeared calm, that she didn't speak over him, And we have a lot of people, women, black and white across the sphere, right? Just women in general who identify with being over-talked by a man. I've seen a ton of tweets. I mean, there are just so many tweets that are on the complete other side, right? Of, Of So you have these two very disparate arguments of what actually, of this experience. And to me, it was illuminating because it says so much about how different our experiences are, right? As black women, how did y'all feel watching the debate. Kathleen, let's start with you. Yeah. I mean, again, I will just say like globally, I was in Canada and everyone I knew was watching this debate. So this is having, you know, global implications. But the overwhelming feeling that I had at first watching it was Kamala is exceptional. Like Mm -hmm. this is a black Mm -hmm. woman who has had to be exceptional. Yes. So smart, so at the top of every industry and every field that she's been in. And Mike Pence is just white. Mm. Like he's just there. Mm. (laughs) Like it was the overwhelming thing was like, she's like you said, Danielle, she's had to do all of this. She's doing all this mental gymnastics. She's towing the line between what she knows people are going to be perceiving as angry to also showing a bit of the exasperation that like the black woman at home watching her are feeling like she knows that she's also got to convey that right. while also being polite, while also being, while, uh, uh, uh. and yeah. Pence just gets to be. And yes. then Susan, moderator Susan, who wasn't doing her job, was such a symbol of a system yes. that silences black women and I gives love, more yes. to the white Take man it there, because sis. it com- she continually said, Thank you, Mr. Vice President. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. And cut off Kamala and didn't give her back her time. I think it's really important to talk about the role that white women often play in carrying out racism and sexism and how Mm -hmm. this and how we as black women specifically experience racism and sexism. And it was Mm -hmm. so clear how Susan was just like, it was very disrespectful Mm -hmm. in the way she treated Kamala Versus the way she treated Pence, who was not answering questions, who yep. was mm-hmm. all over the place, who, and what, what the one thing that stuck out to me, and this was the point where I really was like, I had to tap out, was when Kamala said, I will not be lectured mm-hmm. by the vice president because she, there was a point where she had to drop her receipts. And Mm -hmm. I love what you said. I love that you use the word exceptional, Kathleen, because as black women, we so often have to drop our receipts. Mm -hmm. And she had to say, I've actually done this job. I've actually made these decisions. I've actually sat on these committees and you have done nothing. And it was still, it's mind boggling to me that still people can walk away from that feeling like he is the more credentialed candidate when she literally sat there and listed out her receipts. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, everything you're saying, all this, and I think one of the things that I also had to do was I had to walk away from it because I was like, I was getting like upset, like Mm. like personally upset. And I had to go on a walk with my friend for like 45 Mm. minutes. And I was like, I'm gonna come back. I know I'm going to hear about this. I know I'm going to end up watching it. I just can't do this in real time because it felt like 
too personal. It felt right. too personal. Yes. And I think when you're talking about like all of these things, like going back and having to read our resume, which we've talked about before, yes. like how many times do we have to say it? How many times are you going to gaslight me yes. into mm-hmm. thinking that what I've done and who I am is not enough? Yes. And I think that's mm-hmm. also what I feel like we're, we're up against a lot in a way. It's like, we respect you where is that same respect just on a human level, right? We haven't even gotten there yet. So before Mm. we can even do that and talk about the issues, you have to recognize my own humanity. Yes. I was just thinking of how lonely that is and how that on that stage, we saw this black woman alone. The moderator was not doing her job to pull up Pence when he says science doesn't know. That's not a fact. Right. Uh, to right. me, a moderator should call someone out on the actual facts. Right, right. Kamala ended up having to do that herself. Yes. You felt how lonely she must have felt on that stage. And, and we've talked so many times on this show about the community of Black women that we create, right? Whether whether purposefully or, or by accident or we, I think we are very communal beings, particularly as Black women. And... Kamala has a community around her, right? Like she has the HBCU community. She has mm-hmm. the, the the Black Greek Letter Organization community. She has, you go a little granular, she has her sorors, the AKA community. You ha- She has like so many people just communing around her. And it is, I think, hard for us as Black people to watch any person that we feel like is one of our own by herself, particularly against these two forces, quite frankly, of white supremacy. You know, we've had to do the mental gymnastics of being able to play both this composed individual and not being that angry Black women in order to get closer to the goal. Mm -hmm, And I want to get into the crux of Really, I think what the priority is for us is the activism, right? It is our Mm -hmm. lives that are on the line here. It is Black people and Black women, Black trans women, Black trans men that are being killed on the streets, that are being brutalized, that are being violated. And so we understand that. And we have to oftentimes take this long road around. And I want to get into that a bit because voting is complicated for us. Voting is difficult for us. And yet we show up every time. I think throughout history, we could take this back to you know, obviously we were all too young for this, but going back to Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, right? There are so Mm. many times Mm. where we've had to navigate between being a Black woman and being a Black person. We can go to Obama and Hillary Clinton in the Mm. primaries Mm -hmm. in 2006, 2007. So we often have these experiences as Black women where we have to choose between two like the parts of who we are we have Mm -hmm. to kind of compartmentalize who we are we don't often get a chance to just show up fully as black women yeah I mean I think it's all of these things where we are sort of like betting on one piece of us or having to like separate ourselves from our emotions and again Mm -hmm. like you said this isn't only politics right this is in everything that we do in every decision that we make in every room that we're in we have to decide okay how am I showing up and who am I showing up as yes I, I think that's so real and it's so true like I have been voting since I became legal age to do so. Right. And every Black woman in my life also has. Like, it's, mm-hmm. Not, mm-hmm. it's not an option for us to opt out because our, our lives are on the line. Absolutely. Our, everything is on the line. And so I think that this whole Black woman will save us trope that we have talked mm. about on this podcast yes. so many times, it just, it comes from necessity. Yes. Like, we have to vote within our interests because yes. no one else will. We have mm-hmm. to pull up for ourselves because no one else will. Yes. So that means we are at the forefront of lo- a lot of these things. And so, yeah, we we have to be the ones. And I'm thinking back to just yesterday, I spoke to the first Black woman leader of a federal party in Canada. Mm. She's, leader, okay. she's leader of the Green Party. Yeah, Ooh. she just got elected. Amen. Anime Paul. Shout out, yes. Anime. In July, she did a town hall meeting got called the N-word. Mm. She has a shaved head, gets people commenting on her hair all the time, mm. asking her if she has a medical condition, all this stuff. Mm. 
And she's like, it is so hard. The barriers to get into politics for a black woman. It's so hard and so difficult. And she's like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It is. And she's like, it shouldn't have to be this way for us to participate in the political process. Yes. It shouldn't have to be this way. Exactly. Our existence Mm -hmm. is political. Yes. But black women head to toe, our existence is political. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. makes me wonder why. Why is that? Because the crazy thing to me is we are we work within a system that refuses to work with us or for yep. us. Yep. And we're constantly pushing to figure out and to, you know, to, to kind of discern through this maze and to work within this system that doesn't, frankly, give a damn about us. So I oftentimes ask myself, like, why? Not showing up feels like a very privileged mm-hmm. thing to even ha- be able to do. Yeah, because it's if we don't show up, that's our job. Mm. That's our reputation. Mm. If they don't show up, they're like, oh, I'll get the next one. Mm. There are no stakes. The stakes are too high for us. Yes. yes, and I feel like whether we like it or not, and this is a testament to who we are as Black women, we have flourished in and around opposition. Mm. And I think mm. for someone... Truth. You know what I mean? For an administration or a system to tell us that we can't, that mm. just makes me want to go even harder. Like, yeah. I will show you. You will know exactly why I am voting. And you yes. will know that, like, you will hear me whether mm. or not you want to and whether mm. or not this actual system is set up for me to fail. Mm. And I think, like, in a lot of ways, that is also the way that we are resisting. Yes. That is so real. Black women were never very high up on, we were never at the top of the hierarchy, right? Like we were Mm -hmm. never there. So the system is working the way it's supposed to. We're just smarter than the system as far as I'm concerned. We've figured out how to crack the code. (laughs) Black women have cracked the code. And it's like, okay, you didn't create this system for me. That's cool. (laughs) But I'm going to figure it out anyway. I'm going to be there anyway. Right. Yes. Like, who else I'm up okay, anyway. Up. <laughs> and Black women have figured that out, like, for centuries. And that is fascinating to me. No matter what, you know, the complications are, obviously, this is a complicated election. And, and we all know Kamala is by no means perfect, but she's got a huge community behind her, right? I loved that image that went viral and was circulating of, um, you know, members of Black Greek letter sororities, of of Deltas, of Eshiros, of Zetas and AKs who were all just like strolled to the polls. You know, y'all know I'll joke around about my uh, organization being the best because it is, but it's just there's nothing better than seeing Black women come together. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting because that sisterhood and the fact that Kamala went to an HBCU, I think adds to her legitimacy as a Black woman, I love seeing that. And it makes me feel, especially, and I say this as someone with a white partner, especially since she has a white partner. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked about how hair is political when you're a Black yes. woman. Our mm-hmm. bodies are politicized. And who we choose to love, our partners, also mm-hmm. become political, especially True. when you're in a, in a position like Kamala. So I think that, you know, there's that side eye that that could come from her community. Like, are you really about us? Mm. But her connections to the HBCUs and her sisterhood makes us feel like she is. But then also, as much as I'm like, people might knock her for having a white partner, I also know the benefits that come with that. I've heard, Mm. I've had white people get in my mentions and be like, oh, you know, through your work, you seem like you hate white people and you're super scary. But (laughs) knowing that you have a white partner makes me feel like you're more approachable or you're not that scary or whatever. Like I've heard that. And so I think we know that Kamala is more palatable to people because Mm. of her husband. First of all, what I love about Kamala is she's never denied her blackness, right? I do think Mm. as a black Mm -hmm. woman, we are so aware of black women in this space who seem to kind of like play down their blackness or Mm. or play into their multi-ethnicity or their ambiguousness, right? And there's nothing more infuriating to me as a black woman than to watch 
some black women sort of lean into that palatability because it's yep. it's frustrating and I'm aware of it, right? I'm a light-skinned black woman. I know that there are aspects of my own characteristics that are very palatable, whether it's where I what I look like, what I went where I went to school, all of those things, right? But mm-hmm. it is very frustrating to watch and and we have so often seen that oftentimes the first black person to achieve something is biracial or multi-ethnic or mm. light skin or something. I mean, I'm talking about everybody from Meghan Markle to Barack Obama to Halle Berry to Kamala Harris. The list goes yeah. on, okay? Michelle is the exception. Mm. Michelle LaVon Robinson <laughs> Obama. Her last name might as well be Jackson, okay? She's got <laughs> the blackest name. She is a dark-skinned black woman. You know, she's got, like, again, we talk about hair, body, skin color, all of these things being very political. I remember her body shape being very political. I remember her hair being very political, her facial expressions. So Michelle dealt with this very real, you can't ignore the fact that I'm Blackness, this this response that Kamala is able to kind of navigate around because of her, both her palatability as a multi-ethnic person and because of having a white partner. And I find that, really, really interesting. And she's able to sort of navigate this world. And and Kathleen, I love that you shared that, that like there's almost this degree of comfort because she has a white partner. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's seen as like less threatening, which is to go back to the beginning of this conversation, that Black women, that gymnastics that we have to do constantly, and it's not even by choice. So right. it's whether she makes a facial expression, whether she is with a white partner, what, how she does her hair. It's all of that right. comes into play when we talk about Kamala Harris and her politics and her as the VP nominee. And that, again, does not come into play with a Mike Pence. Women have to face politics that men don't have to face, but Black women have to face politics that no one has to face, right? And I mm-hmm. feel like, and this is again, the like look of black women. I told you, Danielle, the nudge is all we need. You know, like mm-hmm. she's constantly giving us a nudge and a wink. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's what I'm like, okay, I see you. Yes. Like it makes me feel like she's just been doing what she has to do to get to this spot. The reality is she's the feds. She's been the feds. And yes. like, mm-hmm. like true, and that was one of the things, like truly, right? Like, yes. let's just be real. Yes. Kamala is the feds. Yep. And yes. like, when we have this conversation about law and order and her response to that was very much like, and that's what I loved about the, like, I will not be lectured. You can't lecture the feds about being the feds. Right? <laughs> like, that's just not possible. Like she'd been there, done that, got a t-shirt. She wrote every ride in that amusement park. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, Yes. Okay. She navigated that system, but now we have to push her to make good on that promise. Yeah. It's about accountability and holding folks accountable for the things that they're saying right now that they will do in the future. There's that joke. Everybody says, like, if if this happens, I'm moving to Canada, right? (laughs) And and so I wonder, like, what is it like to watch this unfold So much of what happens in America trickles over and affects what happens here in Canada. Mm. White supremacist organizations are are on the rise in the U.S. Mm. They're also on the rise here. The founder of the Proud Boys is Canadian. Mm. And so I also think I like get my back up when people say, oh, I'm going to go move to Canada because racism exists here too. Black women aren't just over here chilling either. Like the system is also set up for us to fail. And so watching everything play out, it is scary. I can't imagine the fear that y'all are feeling, mm. but the, it's it's still so scary and frustrating to think that the stakes are only high for Black women. Mm. Mm. So from the outside looking in, and I'm sure Black women in the UK feel similar because this does impact us and, and systemic racism and all the the white supremacist views that that organization spews exist in our countries as well. Mm. And it's the emboldenment. That's not a word. (laughs) It is the emboldening of those views on a global scale that gets amplified. It's scary. And and so that that leads me to the question, right? Is like like we've all said we're 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 working within a system that's that's not here for us. That's never been here for us. Right. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about 
the government. I'm talking about society, right? Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about what does activism as a black women look like today? What are we doing today? Because again, we will work within the system, but is it time to just completely dismantle it and try to start over? Chelsea, I, I pose that question to you first. I mean, you may not want to hear my answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get something started. I'll tell you that. generally I'm like just throw it all away throw America away let's start over (laughs) it is so scary you're right Kathleen Mm -hmm. but it is in no way surprising Mm -hmm. and I think like that is something that is also really hard to like teach people when they're like oh my god this is the worst time in America's history Mm -hmm. I'm like really you are you sure about that Right. Like, it wasn't like, bad when I was enslaved yeah, and, like, no, or like was, Jim Crow or right, any of that yeah, but when like, I had right no control now. over my body exactly but this moment is tough for you okay that's I'm, I'm sure right. but I think like so for me I think it's like okay if we're if we understand that if I'm not surprised then something needs to change and we need mm-hmm. to trust each other like I told you Kathy that there is another way to organize the world mm. Yeah, and I think mm. one of the things that we know one of the reasons that we know that is because a lot of people have told us that right <laughs> a lot of yes. people with a lot of degrees and a lot of education <laughs> and resources and support have told us that there are actually other ways to do this right. and there are other ways to go at a system or to potentially shift it or change it to make sure that there is equity and i think what the things that we have to do is to think about okay once we vote what's next I think, Chelsea, I love that. And I I think that you, what you're saying is so specific to how Black women think, right? Our baseline is to very much be like, we've got to fix it, right? How many times have we talked about the fact that, like, white women will respond to a situation by crying? And I will be like, <laughs> I don't have time for that. Like, <laughs> I'm glad that you get to cry right now. I don't. That to me, again, that's born out of privilege. Like, mm-hmm. women don't have time to stop and think and be like, mm-hmm. oh, what do we do? We're just like, figure it out. Figure it out. I mean, I think it goes back to listen to Black women. Because, like you're saying, Danielle, we've all heard this before. Right, right. Genuinely. We, just like, I feel like we just, we don't have time to act confused. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> as part. As part. And I know, I, I want to stress like act. I'm like, I know you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. But yes. again, you have the privilege of not having to listen to them. Yes. But we don't have that same privilege. And we don't have the time to be acting confused. We have to do something yes. right now. Yes. And I think like something at some point, like you have to understand like that there are stakes here and that these stakes will eventually affect you. Well, and that's the thing is that so many communities, a lot of communities aren't going to jump in until it's at their doorstep, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we've for so often, for so long, we've had to wait for this to, to inconvenience other people. Mm-hmm. It's been inconveniencing us forever, right? But once it starts to inconvenience other people, folks, other demographics, once you can no longer ignore it, it's like, oh, we should have been listening to Black women this whole time. Mm-hmm. We've been saying this. We said, yeah. hey, y'all, probably not a good idea. Why? <laughs> because our lives were on the line first. Mm-hmm. Now, here I am four years later, still telling y'all, I don't have four years to waste. I'm not going to make it through another four years. And I need you to hear that. I need you to yeah. listen to that. And I don't understand what, and I ask you guys this, why do we feel like there is a hesitance to do so? I just think people would rather go down with the ship than let someone else captain it. Yes. Yeah, I think, I agree with Chelsea. I think it's their racism, they put their racism and their white supremacy ahead of their own well-being. Mm. They would rather... Be racist, then be right, even. Ooh. Ooh. White supremacy isn't just American. That's international. So we're talking about across the globe, white people are more invested in maintaining their supremacy, their place in society, 
than they are in handing the reins over to a group of people who have clearly demonstrated their ability to succeed. We have reached my very favorite portion of every episode. If you are a longtime listener, you already know what I am about to say. And for the newbies, welcome to the Don't At Me segment of the Go Off Sis podcast. What is Don't At Me, you ask? I'll tell you. The Don't At Me section is the portion of our episode where we tie a bow around our conversation and we cap off our opinion. Here is the catch. You cannot at us. Our opinion is our opinion. You can't challenge us. You can't question us. As my good Auntie Nene Leak says, I said what I said. And this week's Don't At Me is courtesy of our good sister, Pastor Chelsea Sanders. Take it away, sis. Okay. Look, we know that voting is a right, but it's one that we haven't always had the privilege of exercising, even to this day. And as the world and those in power continue to try to restrict our freedoms, our voice, and our very breath, it can be hard to see why casting our vote is even worth it. But you know what is worth it? You. Us. This. We know the Black women voters are the most reliable and most engaged demographic. We not only dare to hope, dare to vote, but we organize others to do the same because we've seen the potential of our bodies, of our minds, of what we can do every day in each other. We've also seen the disappointment, the anger, the exhaustion reflected in each of our eyes. We know that same look in Kamala on stage at the vice presidential debate or your coworker in that meeting or just walking down the street. And it can be difficult and painful because the burden of knowing is seeing. It requires patience and resilience, a lot of which we've rented out for free and people have borrowed against for centuries. But this is what we also know. Voting puts legs on our hope and receipts on our demands. So yes, invest in Black women and invest in yourselves because it's way past time we represent ourselves. We vote because we're not letting anyone else tell us who we are and we never have. And because voting is one step in a framework that we need to bring about change and a return on that investment. So let's vote for representation, for reform, and most importantly, for each other one more time again. Don't at me. Season three of the Go Off Sis podcast was made possible by Target, our home for style this HBCU homecoming season. Whether you're an HBCU student, fan, auntie, or alum, Target is here to elevate your creativity and hype your personal style this fall. As we continue to celebrate our sisterhood and the joy of our legacy building reunions, Target gives us the power to showcase our individuality and embrace our communities with pride right on time. Whether we're on the yard or gathering virtually this fall, we are still going to be serving looks. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all their style options and take your celebrations to the next level. We are extremely excited to welcome today's guest, the one and only Yandy Smith Harris. Yandy is an activist, entrepreneur, manager, and TV personality who has been on the front lines of culture for our community for more than a decade. And when we say she is out here, she truly is walking that walk and talking that talk. And it's probably no surprise and no accident that she is a proud HBCU alum and graduate of Howard University, which, of course, we will get all the way into. Yandy, welcome to the Go Off Sis podcast. I am so excited to be here and chop it up with my girls. So yes. let's get it going. <laughs> yes, the energy, already feeling it. Yes, let's go. Let's That's just right. jump right in. 
So talk to us. Let's go all the way back from, from March into now, right? It feels like we've been in quarantine forever, y'all. We made it to the fourth quarter of Honey. 2020. <laughs> oh, my God. All I have to say is two words. Homeschool. <laughs> oh, oh, child, we're, we're praying. We are praying. We're sending <laughs> prayers Pray for, for me, okay? <laughs> Pray for me. But we want to talk about your journey to these conversations around activism because you've been about this life and you've dealt outside of right now, you've also dealt with how the criminal justice system has affected your own personal life and your own Mm -hmm. personal, your family. And in a lot of ways, you know, Black women are uniquely in tune and, and understand that in a way because so much of what happens in society, particularly in the criminal justice system, affects us at home. What was it about this moment that made you say, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to be on the front lines. Mm -hmm. How does it feel? You know what? You said it. You hit it right on the nose. Black women are being affected the most, right? Mm -hmm. Every single thing from structural racism, um, the lack of affordable housing, lack of job opportunities, cost of education, It affects us Black women the most because we are the ones that are the most marginalized. We are the ones that are the most targeted. And we are also the ones that are the nucleus of our societies. And we hold our households together. We hold our neighborhoods, our community meetings together. So we're hit the hardest with everything. We have to take care of our grandparents, our mothers, our fathers. We take care of our babies. And you know we got to hold down our men. So when these things hit, (laughs) it hits us the most. You're not going to take away the gift of my womb by murdering him down because Mm -hmm. he had a bag of Skittles and a hoodie on. Mm -hmm. You're not going to shoot and kill me because I had a broken taillight and get away with it and tell me Mm -hmm. I committed suicide when I was a proud, you know, HBCU graduate in a soror. You're Mm -hmm. not going to tell me that. So all the way back, you know, from Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, I felt like it was important for me to use my voice to get out there and talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, it's so, I mean, amazing that you are using your voice to speak out for these things that other people that, you know, don't have your fame, don't have the opportunity to say. And yet people take that fame and use it as a way to discredit you. Mm. You know, there are people that still say that people who have a past in reality TV can't Mm -hmm. come to this conversation Mm -hmm. and question your credentials. Mm. So I want to know what you say to those people who say that you should stick to reality TV. Oh, baby. You know what? I think that that is a very lazy comment. I think that's a very ignorant comment. I live in this world, you know, (laughs) and I think it's Mm -hmm. time for people to really stop being lazy. Stop thinking status quo and the way things are is what's going to get us over because it doesn't work. So they should, if anything, praise people like me for being at the table because just maybe Mm. there'll be a difference. Just maybe democracy will look different. Just maybe our liberation that is bonded together will finally come through and we'll be a free people Mm. because what's happening and who's at the table has not quite worked for us. Mm. We know mm. that. <laughs> a word. I, mean, I, I love when we have these the words. Yes. Amen. Truly. Amen. And the church says amen. Yes. <laughs> and let me tell you, I don't think this is a sprint. I think it's a marathon. Yes. You know, God yes. bless. Yes. Nipsey Hustle. So I don't want to say that those that have been at the table, it's not working. But I do feel like we need more. Mm-hmm. I feel like we need more voices. I feel like we need different voices. And I, and I respect everyone that has come before me and that has um, put in work to change what democracy and liberation looks like for Black people. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I do feel like we need more voices. And, and I think it's sickening that they feel like they need to mute the voices of people that don't have the preferred career. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe a journalistic background or a political background right. or a lawyer. Right. Those are not the only people affected by this political system or this justice system, we're affected as well. Yes. Look who's president, a reality TV star. (laughs) If that doesn't go to show you the importance of, you know, popularity of a platform, then I don't know. I mean, that's like supposedly the highest position in the United States, right? He's the leader of our nation. Right, right. So what's the difference between... You know, I'm not even going to say that because there's a big difference between he and I. So let me not even play that card. <laughs> but um, for all those people out there that say we just clout chasing, clout chasing led that man to be a whole president, okay? It's facts on facts, mm-hmm. yes. 
I want to back up a little bit because you, again, we, we got your resume. We got the jobs on jobs. You are an entrepreneur. You're a businesswoman. You are on a break between takes, okay? <laughs> and doing it here with us. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit. I mean, I think so much has happened in our community and to our community, especially over the past few months. And when we really think about this moment as a sort of racial inflection point for our country and for the world, I think it can get exhausting, right? I think yes. even just talking about this and the mental sort of gymnastics that you have to do every day to yes. get out of bed, it's a lot. So yeah. is, are there moments where you're like, okay, I need to stop. I need to set this down. I need to take a break. And, and how do you do that? You know, the whole aspect of self-care isn't something that I, I'm great at if I just keep it real. I think, you know, us women have been burnt the most by this economic downfall. I think being a Black woman right now is painful. You know, I think every single day we have to deal with the reality of some are dealing with the reality of being evicted. Mm. Some are dealing with the reality of, you know, their children not getting the proper resources to be educated. And it's hard. It's hard to, to really just figure out how to take care of yourself. Mm. A spa doesn't do it. A back massage doesn't do it. A glass of wine doesn't do it. What has helped me are those quiet moments with my girlfriends, mm -hmm. with my, my good girlfriend team, just telling them how I'm feeling, getting on the phone, finding something to laugh at, finding something to be happy about. Mm. That's real. We've talked about that so much, about how just like... Black women sustain each other in ways that like we don't even realize sometimes. I mean, we've said so many times, like when we either hit each other with the text or the chat, like child, or you, you child, that's get, it. You that's get, all you need like, to say. Oh, yeah. Like as soon as you get like girl, period. I'm like, oh, where, <laughs> what's going on? Like, the, the girl with the U, with the like G U U yes. U U U U R L with an exclamation point. You're, she's like, yeah. I know, girl. I know. Yeah. Right. And that's the whole conversation, too, because you know in that girl, there's so much in that. It's yeah, all those things it. that, that you're dealing with and the Zooms and the laptops is in that girl. That's <laughs> it. That is really. it. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, we're thinking about and talking about in this episode is, is how do we help, right? Because we always do and we always will. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that we're talking about is voting. Uh, mm -hmm. Voting helps. Just PSA, voting helps. So do voting, that. <laughs> voting will make the difference mm. so that we don't have moments like this. Right. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to have this conversation because I think there are some people who are also just apathetic to voting who are like, you know, my vote doesn't matter or, you know, mm -hmm. the system is rigged. It is what it is. Or, you know, they're not going to help us anyways. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that and how you have worked to, again, using your voice to activate people who may not have even thought to vote in this election, but now seeing you and seeing you out here are changing their minds and thinking about voting differently. You know, it's important for us to leverage our power in dismantling all the systems of racism and discrimination. Now, granted, presidency uh, is one of the main things we're up against right now. But what we need to understand as a community, if we want to dismantle these systems, it starts at the legislative level. That is where the laws are made, right? And then from the legislative level, we have to think about Senate. We have to think about Congress. We have to think about House of Representatives. We have to think about attorney generals. Everybody right now is so upset with Daniel Cameron you know, in the Breonna Taylor case, I am one of those people that are upset as well, but we yes. voted him in office. You know, right. we mm -hmm. had the decision, mm -hmm. you know, we are bashing him now for his inability to bring the charges against the officers and for him to have brotherhood with the police department in Louisville, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is somebody out there voted him in office that is now singing the tune of justice for Breonna Taylor. You know, mm -hmm. we have to get out there and vote. It's not okay. You don't like the president's choices. Fine. But did you vote for your attorney general? Did you vote mm. for the, the, the state representative? Did you vote for the Congress seat? Because those mm. are the people that are going to make the laws. 
But no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, local elections are so important and the presidential election gets so much attention. But, you know, where we feel it on a day to day is really is really the local elections. And we've got to be really cognizant of that. So I love that you broke that down, because I do think that that is how we get into situations, to your point like the Breonna Taylor situation where we are upset with someone who we effectively voted into office and we've got to pay attention to who's on the ballot and do the research. This season's all about HBCUs. Um, And we've been talking, of course, about Kamala Harris, who is also an incredible Howard grad. Um, Uh And, 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 you know, to your point, uh, talking about, you know, just the the sisterhood that we create as Black women. She's, She's a member of a Black Greek letter organization. Mm-hmm. which also happens to be the same one I'm a member of. Um, <laughs> okay, um, AKA. <laughs> so when you see Kamala, like when you see how she moves, you know, we, we were talking about as a Black woman, just kind of the impact of seeing somebody that feels familiar to us, that moves the way we move, that, you know, communicates the way we communicate. For you, you know, as a Howard graduate, as a, as a Black woman, how, how does that feel? Okay, so... I want to be 100% honest in this conversation, yes, right? Please, please. I am so excited to have Kamala in this space for Skylar, for my daughter. I was excited when Obama was president for my son. I yes. want them to see Black people in these huge positions of power and leadership. I am excited that she went to my alma mater, mm-hmm. you know, so I would hope I know the type of woman she is because I just feel like all Howard women are cut from the same cloth. So I'm excited about all that for what it looks like for young Black girls Mm -hmm. coming up, that you can do and be anyone, right? But what I've learned from Daniel Cameron, that all skin folk ain't kin folk. Mm -hmm. So what I think, you know, we have to be careful of And I'm going to get shot down for saying this probably, but I do feel like we also have to hold everyone accountable. Yes. Even if they're our own skin folk. Yes. And I think that we are going to have to get her in office. That's Mm -hmm. first. Then after we get her in office, we have to have some real closed door family talk. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that we have some family talk. That that ain't for everybody. Right. That we are going to have to say, listen, sis. Sis, okay, <laughs> this is what we need, okay? Like, I understand we have to get you here. Now you're here, right. but we need you to do this, you know? Right. There are some closed-door conversations that yes. I feel like powerful Black women leaders will need to have to make sure our needs are met with Ms. Harris, yes. with Senator Harris. And when she is vice president, I hope our leaders in our community, our leaders in activism have a moment. I hope that Tamika Mallory has Mm. a moment with Senator Mm. Harris Mm. to really talk about the needs of Black people. Yes, yes. And so many people are so hesitant to even criticize her. Well, you're like, no, let's let's vote her in and then let's hold her accountable. Exactly. I want her to be bold and courageous and radical in every single thing that she decides to do because there are young girls like Skylar Harris, you know, for her namesake, that are looking up to her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I love that you mentioned your daughter because I, I want to talk and, you know, you mentioned homeschooling and the challenge there and just, you know, the space that Black women take up because we're taking care of so many people, uh-huh. um, particularly as mothers oftentimes. And as a mother, how do you stay motivated? How do you keep going? You know, how do you keep make sure this next generation stays activated? Because, you know, I, I can't even, I'm currently expecting. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. And there are definitely days when I get down, right? Where I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, why am I bringing a little yep. brown girl, to your point, a little brown girl into this world? Like, yep. What am I doing? Like, what kind of world am I giving to my child? So how do you stay motivated as a mother? And how do you make sure that you're doing the work, you know, to make it better for this next generation? You know, I take my children with me. and And if there's something that I feel like this might be problematic or dangerous, I tell them what's happening. I tell them what's going on because I want them to understand the importance of their voice. Mm -hmm. And that's, and everyone's activism looks different. 
Mm. You know, and I feel the same way you feel all the time. Uh, you know, I'm always like, oh my gosh, I brought my children into this crazy world. Right. <laughs> you know, I feel that way all the time. And I think mommies are just going to feel that way. Yes. But I think it's important for us to instill in our children, they can be the difference. You know, if we never mm. see true liberation and true freedom in our time, I do believe it for my children. I believe that it's going yes. to happen in their generation. Yes. Mm. That's so beautiful. And I want to talk to you, talked about forms of activism and, and one form of activism is living your life boldly yes. and mm-hmm. joyfully. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk about black love. Mm. Oh, yes. You've been married mm-hmm. for years. <laughs> you have shown yes. us the challenging times, the good times. And so when we talk about, you know, our existence being resistance, can you talk to what Black love looks like to you and how you're keeping it and growing it, especially during times like right now? You know, I think Black love is something that is every day a challenge to fight through everything else. You know, like I think we are constantly dealing with so much that we have to, we have to make moments. We have Mm -hmm. to make moments to preserve our love and whatever those moments are, we take them, we acknowledge them. And we, we say like, Oh, okay. That was a moment. Like we literally, if you look at my last video, I was in the bathroom washing my face. My husband comes in and he's just standing there. (laughs) And I was like, um, he's like wiping my, the water was dripping down my arm. He's wiping. The, the water from dripping down my arm. And I'm like, you just going to stand there and wash me? I'm like, here, you need some soap? You want to wash your face too? And he's like, no, I'm just, I'm just standing here. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> when, I, when I watched the video back, I'm like, that was our moment. Like, yeah. we might have to steal moments here and there right. to be in love or to show that we support each other or to help each other. And that was one of those moments where we just stole the time. Mm. We steal our moments. We appreciate however big or small. And then when I look back at the video and I just looked how he was admiring me, wash my face and trying to help me. I'm like, oh, that was kind of cute. Okay. That was cute. cute. That's a a better uh, reaction than me. I'd be like, can you go do something? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's what I'm constantly doing. So to see it from that perspective and to just see like, it's a small moment, but it's significant. Like sometimes those are the best ones. And we just have to acknowledge that and take Mm -hmm. it for what it is. You know, like some of us, and I'm a victim. I want the big moments, the, babe, we haven't done this in a while. We haven't done that. We haven't gone on a trip. I haven't gone on a vacation in four years. (laughs) And he's like, just be patient. Those things are going to happen. Be patient. But I have to acknowledge the small things. And I think that's what's important. We get caught up in life and and we don't take notice of those things that should matter as well. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's important for us to notice those small victories and, and acknowledge them and find joy and happiness in those moments. Yes. 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 I want to actually just talk a little bit about like those small victories, right? And and talking a little bit about how you balance that with some of the challenges. Like you said, you have yeah, like skincare. You you are on Instagram. Your videos are the honestly best. like so, the best. <laughs> the and just best. like they make me smile because like I want it makes me want to like dance while I'm washing my face right, too. Right. You know, <laughs> and so. What, what does that look like for you, these small victories of like, you're an entrepreneur right now. And again, you're an activist and there's so much on your plate, but can you tell us a little bit about like what that small victory for you looks like either as an entrepreneur or just as a black woman, because we, we do have so much on us right now. We do. I'm a celebrator. So I celebrate everything. There are so many milestones, especially with Yale Skincare. We started that company in 2000, oh my goodness, I, I started, I thought about it in 2016. It took me two years to finally launch the brand with testing and failures and mess ups. Finally, we came out in 2018 and I celebrated the fact that year one, you know, well, after, let me tell you this real quick. So it took me like three months to sell my first, my, with a whole TV show, on the TV show, um, show the Yale Skincare. And this is a message to all you entrepreneurs out there. I think at that time I had 4 million followers. I did not sell my first product until like one month in. And I didn't mm. sell my first $1,000 to about three, four months in. Mm. 
But by the end of the year, my my start year, I made sixty six thousand dollars, which I was so excited about. I was yes. like, "Oh my god, mm-hmm. this is we made sixty six thousand dollars at the close of the year." Yeah. But year two, God said, "Oh, but wait, let me show you what I got," because you persevered. Mm-hmm. Year two, we closed the year at a little over seven hundred thousand dollars. Year two. Wow. Okay. Wow. So now going into year three, we haven't made it yet. We are far into the million, you know, mm-hmm. and it's because wow. of that mm-hmm. setback first. Mm-hmm. It's because mm-hmm. I didn't say, you know what? We only did 66. We projected a million. Let me, you, this ain't for me. It's the perseverance. Yes. So mm-hmm. I celebrate all the time mm-hmm. because again, you just, you just never know what's in store for you and you got to celebrate the small victories for you to ever yes. feel like you're doing something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like we're doing something. Yes. We, we projected yes. some great numbers year three and we are doing great. And I, I hope that we meet them. But if we don't, I am celebrating that I sold $1 over $700,000. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? I love that so much. I just, you know, I mentioned, I, I feel like we'd be remiss if we don't talk about this, but I mentioned that this season is about HBCUs and yes. so much of just your energy and who you are as an entrepreneur, like just everything you said just now, I'm like, oh my gosh, just celebrating these small wins. All, all three of us actually attended primarily white institutions. But can you talk a little bit about Howard's role, the role that Howard played in making you who you are today. You are such a strong Black woman. You are vocal. You are authentic. You are a celebrator. What role did did Howard play in in you coming into your own? So uh, Howard, let me just say this, was everything (laughs) I needed, okay? But Howard was so instrumental in me being a proud, a proud, bold, confident Black woman. Mm. One of the main things I tell people all the time, like when I talk to high school students, I don't remember what happened in my calculus class. I don't remember my American history. I don't even remember my Black diaspora class and the things that I've learned, to be honest with you. But what I remember was the network of Black men and women that rallied together and supported my development. I remember the network of girls that would come to my dorm room and we would kick back and watch movies. I remember the network of young Black people that would bind together when we had an accountant test. And I'm like, okay, you do that chapter, you do that chapter, I'm gonna do this chapter, you do that chapter. And then what we're gonna do is we're gonna compare notes and you're gonna tell me all the key points from your chapter, I'm gonna tell you all the key points from my chapter. And just that connectivity that helped us survive and thrive together mm-hmm. and be excellent together. Yes. I would not have passed my business law, my accounting, or my finance classes without my village. Mm-hmm. It's just what it is. Yes. If that village of people that, that I would go to, like, all right, study group, let's get this together. <laughs> I would not have survived. Right. Mm-hmm. At Howard, if you wanted to go to a Monday night club, a Tuesday night club, Thursday, Wednesday, or Friday night club, you could do it. Mm. There was a party every night of the week that was popping. Okay. Mm. And I mm. needed that for, and then I also had to get A's. So during the day, I had to do my schoolwork. I worked a full-time job while I was at Howard because my mother was like, mm, yeah, I, I had a scholarship my freshman year. After my freshman year, my mother was like, I can't afford Howard. So if you're going to stay at Howard, you have to help me. Mm. So I had a full-time job and I partied full-time. I was a full-time student, full-time worker, and a full-time partier. Yes. That's my life now. Amen. I'm a full-time, <laughs> yes. I'm with my mom. I'm a full-time worker. And when I want to get out and have a good time, I do that full-time too. Yes. Well, before COVID. <laughs> before COVID. <laughs> so right. That is who college was able to teach me multitasking. I had to multitask my Howard life because it was always something to do. My Howard experience was popping. Mm. Like popping, popping. Yes. So, you know, these are all experiences that taught me networking, which is what got me in the spaces that I'm in. And also being able to multitask. That has got me and made me successful in these spaces. So my vote is go to an HBCU, more specifically (laughs) Howard University. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love it. I love it so much. Yandy, we cannot thank you enough for being here and for joining us and for having this, like, I I always, these conversations are always so soul-filling for us. Mm -hmm. We just love, like, like I said, cutting up, like, Black girls just getting together and being able to go off and talk to each other about so many things. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you for hitting everything that's important and talking about all the things that matter. And I think that there are conversations like this that need to happen all the time, all over the place. And I hope that there will be some young little girl listening to this conversation and understanding how much her voice matters, how much her vote matters, and how it's important to have these spaces of just Black women talking and communicating and healing and helping. So thank you for creating this space. We need it. To Refinery, thank you for, you know, housing this space and producing this space because we need these kind of conversations. They're so important. The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Chelsea Sanders and Kathleen Newman-Bremang. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram at r29unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Sis.